and today I get to kick it off with a message that's been percolating in my heart for some time called Keeping a Cool Head in a Heated Conversation. And the the people making a ruckus down here, this is the Treasure Lake Board of Directors down here, and you need this, so take notes. And I was going to call it How to Attend an Alderman's Meeting. (laughs) Anyway, but I'm not... I'm not, we're not, I don't want to talk about alderman's meetings. I don't want to talk about uh, even online. I, I said, let's not even talk social media. Let's just talk about what happens for you and for me when we find ourselves in a conversation that's getting away from us. Maybe we were invited into it, but maybe we were the cause of it. Fight or flight, I'm flight. When, I, when the conversation gets heated, I like to get out of the room. Who's with me? Let's get out of the room. Let's get out of here as quickly as possible. I actually like to stir it up a little bit. Then I get out of there as quickly as I possibly can. But some of us know there have been those moments in conversation when we've been self-righteous, and we need to be right, and we need to win. We need to prove our point of view. And we know the conversation's going in a way where we're pushing people away. We're we're moving away from them. And when Paul speaks to the church at Ephesus, he says in Ephesians 4.29, we read, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. So in our conversations, that it would be wholesome. It's actually a word my family loves to use when we see something done well. We'll look at each other and go, that was wholesome. Uh, But only what is helpful conversations that are helpful, building others up. We need more of those conversations today where we're encouraging one another, building them up. But look what it says, according to their needs. When's the last time you went into a conversation thinking about the other person and what they needed out of it versus what you needed to get out of it or what you were going to prove in it? It says that it may benefit those who listen. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, our language Our conversations that we have should invite people in, should draw them closer. We should be building people up. Our conversations should be wholesome, healing, reconciling. And that's the desire today. What do we do? I'm going to give you, it's going to be very practical. Gary Smalley used to call these handles that you can take out, walk out with, leave with. As we look at simple but powerful principles from the scripture, as followers of Jesus, how you and I can lower the temperature of our conversations. We read in Proverbs chapter 6, very strong words, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Number one, haughty eyes. Two, a lying tongue. Three, hands that shed innocent blood. Four, a heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And look at this. A person who stirs up conflict in the community. And you know them as well as I do. And I don't want to be part of constantly looking for a fight. We say it around here all the time. You don't have to engage in every fight you're invited to. And you and I in recent years have been invited to a lot of fights. We're asked to join in. But how can you keep a cool head in those moments? Now, speaking of conflict in a community... Two churches started going at it uh, in this small town uh, over theological issues, and they were using their church signs. Now, it's one of the reasons why I don't have a church sign. I don't want a church sign. I've asked us not to have one. This one out here, the marquee that you can take pictures on the picture wall, we love that. But I said, 
make it real simple so people can't get, you've been by churches that have hostile church signs. Like, you're like, oh, that's kind of offensive. And I've never met one person in my life that when you ask them, how'd you come to know the Lord? A church sign. Never met that person. <laughs> what kept you out of church? A church sign, right? That, I mean, it's interesting how people use them. They go back and forth with each other. But the, the, I love what took place in this town. And I'm sorry, leave it to the Catholics to stir up conflict first. Look at their sign. I think you're going to have fun with this. They put on their, I don't know why they felt the need to put this on the sign, but I think they were picking a fight. They put on their sign, all dogs go to heaven. And the Presbyterians were having none of it. Presbyterians were like, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to be theologically correct. So they responded across the street with, only humans go to heaven, read the Bible. The Catholics, they were not going to stop. And we're going to go on for a little bit here, just brace for impact. God loves all his creatures, creations, dogs included. Can you imagine the sign guys at these churches getting called at midnight? We need to get to church, 6 a.m., get up there quick. Because the Presbyterians responded with, dogs don't have souls, this is not open for debate. To which the Catholics said, Catholic dogs go to heaven, Presbyterian dogs can talk to their pastor. <laughs> and you know, I can tell you, if I was a pastor of this church, I, if I would have just given the freedom to the sign guy, this would have read, Catholic dogs go to heaven, Presbyterian dogs go to... <laughs> Don't say it. And the pastor came in, no, 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 have him talk to me first. Anyway, here's how the Presbyterians responded. Converting to Catholicism does not magically grant your dog a soul. I'm going to give best sense of humor to the Catholics on this one because here's how they responded. Free dog souls with conversion. And the Presbyterians didn't quite catch on. They were still a little uptight. Uh, And here's how they responded. Dogs are animals. There aren't any rocks in heaven either. To which the Catholics said, all rocks go to heaven. (laughs) Hey, we got any Catholics in the room right now or across campus? Good for you. I hope you keep that sense of humor. (laughs) I thought we should totally do Now I want a church sign. I want to duel back and forth with faith and wisdom over there. Let's just go at it. I'll call Jeremy at First Baptist. He'd have a ball with us. Hey, let's, let's pick a fight in town and go back and forth. Or Mike at Bloom. But anyway, I don't think we're going to do that. So you might describe what you've experienced in conversations over the last couple of years as like almost like dumpster fire or firing squad. We've weaponized anger. You'll hear people say that as well. And it got, it got so fevered. One of my favorite signs is at a Mexican restaurant in Texas. And I've said this, and some of you know what I'm talking about because you follow them on Instagram. I follow, if we had a church sign, we would steal half of their uh, sign. Not the ones about tequila, but the other ones. <laughs> because somebody is clever. And at the height of all the anger and outrage in our country, they put this on the sign outside their restaurant. Has anyone tried unplugging the United States and plugging it back in? <laughs> 
Now, I'll get a church sign if we start doing that type of stuff. But they, they talk a lot about on their sign, they talk a lot about communication. And I, I saw this one as I was scrolling through their feed this week. The phrase, don't take this the wrong way, has a 0% success rate. <laughs> and some of you have been invited into that conversation. I don't want you to take this the wrong way and then kapow. And so today, we're going to look at seven simple but powerful principles from Scripture to keep a cool head in a heated conversation But I I want you to think about follower of Jesus, what it means to be redeemed by the gospel, and it should redeem every part of our lives, our mouths, our language. And we know that the tongue has the power of life and death, but these are conversations that invite people in, build them up. They're wholesome. They're reconciling. They're healing. And so number one, we start with do your part for peace. Do your part. We have to start with you. No matter if you started it or you were invited into it, It starts with what's going on in your heart. We know from Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life, meaning every word you speak, it flows from your heart. So you have to own your part. And what Paul says to the Romans is this, if it is possible, in other words, I'm about to command you to do something, but I know there are limits to what I command you to do, is what he's saying. There are times you will have zero control over this. But if it is possible, and be on the lookout for it, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you and your part, live at peace with everyone. Pursue peace. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are at peace with God. And when you're at peace with God, this should bring peace in your relationships with other men and women. You should be a person pursuing peace. And now the difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper, a peacekeeper is one that can avoid difficult conversations altogether. Rather than staying in the conversation and finding a way to lower the temperature, they're like, get me out of here as quickly as possible. We're not talking about peacekeeping. We're talking about peacemaking. Being adults... Being adults who follow Jesus, standing up and saying, I'm not going to run away from this conversation. When we talk peacemakers from the scripture, Jesus is not teaching us to be social reformers. He's teaching us that to be reformed by the regenerating power of the gospel. And that's where it starts with each and every one of us when we find ourselves in these conversations. Do your part for peace. Now, the next part, if you're now starting with you, It's going to take some skills, and the Scripture gives us plenty of skills for keeping a cool head in a heated conversation. Patiently listen to the other point of view. You're like, but most people I talk to are so ignorant when it comes to what's going on. And Ted, they're not right, and my job is to make them right. Let Let me encourage you. Listening says to people you matter. Listening says you matter, and you're worth my time. And listening is a slow word. I just remember years ago, my daughter was small, and she goes, Dad, I need to say something to you. I need to talk to you for a second. And I was kind of running out of the house, and I was like, yeah, yeah, real fast, real fast. I said those words, real fast, real fast. Let me tell you, listening is not a fast word, right? Hurry is the enemy of intimacy. Uh, Try it sometime this week, guys, when your wife's wanting a conversation with you. Tell her, talk real fast, And see how that goes for you. 
It's not just listening, it's patiently listening. Look at what the scripture says in Proverbs 14, 29. A patient man has great understanding, right? Is able to see it from another point of view, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. And you see this throughout all of Proverbs, right? It is anger, it is hatred, actually, the scripture says, that stirs up conflict. That's why you have to take a look inside first. And find out, why am I so mad all the time? And why are all of my conversations so heated? Right? We want to be a patient one, listening and understanding. It says in verse 13 of chapter 18, to answer before listening. You've heard Adam Donier say this all the time. And this is my, I hope this is my only social media point. But social media has given us the opportunity to share our opinion without sticking around for a conversation. And we've become bad listeners and a lot of us listen to reply. You can always see this in a person's nonverbals when you're sharing something with them and they're like, mm. Mm. And, and inside what you want to blurt out is, you're wrong. But you, we always are listening to reply, but we need to listen to understand their point of view. This is folly and shame to answer before listening. I... I'm going to show you a few more of these signs from Texas because I like them. And, you know, Texas, they have a hard time sharing their feelings. Uh, but look at this. I love it. Of course your opinion matters, just not to me. You know a guy in the first service, about third row, amend this? I said, you're, this is an illustration going in the opposite direction. All right? I, this is not. And I called him out three or four times. And I, he's a guest, so we welcomed him and... Chuck Swindoll in his book on grace, uh, oh, I've learned so much about grace from Pastor Swindoll, and he talks about listening to his teenagers, and I love this illustration because we talk all the time around here about wanting influence with our kids. If you want influence with your children, if you want influence with your adult children, you know how you get that? Listening. Leaning in, inclining the ear. Great listeners have great influence, and he talks about listening to his teenagers. Just look, listen to what he says. Leave room for an opposing viewpoint. He says, if you don't have room for an opposing viewpoint, you're not going to do well when you get to teenagers. He says, teens can be among our best teachers. I know ours have been. They haven't always been right, nor have I. However, I have learned in rearing teenagers that they are great at pointing out another point of view. And now I have adult children. And even when I know my child is on the same page with me with an issue or maybe a current event, they are quick. And I think their generation is blessed by this because I've, I have children who are strong and grounded in the faith. But they will often say, hey, Dad, you know so-and-so would hear that like this. Have you ever considered? I don't know, I've considered it a lot longer than you, and I've known they've been wrong a lot longer than you've been wrong. But it's, right, it's, it's your adult children that will come into you and be like, hey, Dad, and teenagers are great at saying, have you ever thought about it from this point of view? He says, they'll, they'll share with you another point of view. If nothing else, then just to make me think, he says, just to challenge me, to remind me that there's another way of viewing things. I can assure you it has helped me in ministry. It has certainly helped me in my relationship with those to whom I am personally accountable. And then these words that we don't hear often. He says, opposition is good for your humility. To say I'm not always right. But we have to be careful. A couple things about listening before we move to the next principle. Listening does not mean I agree with you. 
when our kids were small and my son would come ask me a question, I'd be like, I, go ask your mom. Right? You've had this happen. By the time it gets to mom, talk to dad. We both agree that uh, what should happen. Like, I didn't say I agreed. I, I was listening. And sometimes people see us listening. But let me, listening says to you, I mat- you matter. You're, you're worth my time. You're worth me leaning in and inclining the ear. And I just wish our nation could really get this next one. Disagreeing with you doesn't mean I hate you. Follower of Jesus, let's get good at this. We're going to disagree with what people believe, their worldview. In the month of June, we're gonna, you're going to deal with this. Do this without this. Disagree with someone without hating. And I can 100% disagree with you and have an opposite opinion of you and not hate you. But we live in a world that says, if you're going to love me and you're going to receive me, you have to agree with me. Not true. I can love you and completely disagree with you. And this maybe is for a spouse right now. This next one. I can listen to your opinions and feelings without seeing them as an attack on mine. And you know what that's called? Maturity. A mature person should be able to hear another point of view and realize that's not at all what I believe. That goes 100% against my convictions. And I'm going to share my point of view, and I want to share it in love so they know. I want to speak the truth in love. I definitely want to do that. But I don't have to leave feeling attacked. Number three, find common ground. If you find yourself in a heated conversation, find common ground. And so Romans 14, Paul is speaking about strong and weak believers. And in every church I've ever been to, and in this church as well, there are those who've walked with the Lord for a long time. And they would be mature in their faith. There are those who are brand new believers. And what Paul is doing in this text, and he does it so well explaining, it's a great text if you want to read all of Romans 14 today. He's saying, hey, those of you who've walked with the Lord and are mature in the faith, don't leave behind those who are weak in the faith. Speak to them in a way that brings them along. Encourage them, help them, build them up. Don't be a stumbling block to them, right? Walk alongside them. And here's, here's some of the, the passage in verse 19 of that chapter. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. The idea here is focus on what you hold true together. In our church, we call this essential beliefs versus non-essential beliefs. You and I can spend a lot of time talking about non-essentials and be in heated conversations, but we got to come back to the cross of Christ. We have to come back to the foot of the cross and realize this is what we hold true. This is what is essential. And what Paul is saying to strong believers, weak believers, he's saying always come back to the common ground. And the common ground is at the foot of the cross. Right? Know what you hold. That's mutual edification. Years ago, uh, almost 20 years ago now, we were doing an ordination uh, in our church for two young men called to ministry. And about 15 of us gathered around this table and they sat at the end and we were, it's, if you don't know what an ordination is, it's like a couple hours of just question after question after question. What do you believe? What do you believe? What do you believe? We got to the doctrine of salvation, and the question was asked, uh, the differences of Calvinism versus Arminianism. Now, if you're brand new to the faith or you've never heard those terms, I can boil it down. The simplest way I know how to say it is it's answering the question, did I choose God or did he choose me? And so we got into it, and I mean, these guys were ready. And they were going boom, 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 differences, 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 differences. Then there was one old guy at the table. I mean, old guy. He's like 55 years old. And he's walked with the Lord for a long time. 
And he asked a question those two guys weren't prepared for, and none of us around the table were prepared for. He said, you know what? You're really clearly explaining, and you've done a great job talking about the differences between Calvinism and Arminianism, but can you tell me in just a few moments, how are they similar? And these two guys go, I, I, we didn't study that. And then I just, for fun, at the end of the table, look to the other, all the people that are there, the ordained, saying, hey, guys, let's answer that question for them. How are they similar? And everybody around the table goes, <laughs> like at a Branson show, trying not to get picked as a volunteer. <laughs> they disengaged. And isn't that happening in the church all the time? We can point out our differences. Boy, we got them, and we're ready for them, and we got the arguments to go with them. Where do we find common ground? He says mutual edification. Why are we having more of those conversations? Building each other up. Let's get real practical with number four. This is for the husbands. Say the right words in the right tone at the right time. You're like, that's a lot. to keep. I, I, I got the right words. I feel my voice. And I even got the right tone. My timing's terrible. My timing's terrible. Amy, uh, just give you this quick little story. She's not in this service, so don't tell her uh, I shared this story. No, she was in the first service. She heard it. But she orders for, from Amazon for our house and for the church and does a lot of ordering. And, you know, me and the UPS guy, we do lunch together. We do, I mean, we're, we're dear friends. And, uh, but so everything gets sent to the church and everything gets sent to our house. But so on Amazon, she has two addresses that she toggles between. Well, every now and then, we're, it's going so fast that she'll order some big order for the church, and it gets sent to our house. And I show up, and I'm like, ah! Meaning, and I, with joy in my heart, load it into my truck, and I drive over here to the church, and I put it in the back, and I don't say anything. Until a couple years ago, she was ordering these carpet squares that you see here and in the lobby. And I came pulling into the driveway one night, and and... Right in front of the garage door was a pallet of carpet squares. I about lost it. I mean, I, 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 was, I was having a great day, and I saw this pallet. And I, you're like, well, what's the big deal? I don't own a forklift. Maybe you rich people that got the money to blow around like that have forklifts sitting around. I ain't got no forklift. Oh man, and I'm, I have to, just to get in the garage, I gotta unload this pallet of carpet squares. I hope you appreciate where you're walking on this morning. <laughs> I'm unloading them and Amy comes home, oh hey babe, sorry about that. No problem! Right? Cause I know that's not the right time. But we do need to talk. And I waited three days. Cause that day was not the day, but we're at Little Hacienda, I wait till we're halfway through our enchiladas. And I say, let's talk about addresses for just a quick second. <laughs> Scripture is full of practical on this. The right words, the right tone at the right time. Proverbs twelve twenty five: anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. And we have to understand a lot of the heated conversations we get into are driven by anxiety, depression in the other person, mental illness. And we just talked about it. The needs of the other person... When's the last time in a conversation that got away from you that did you pause and go, I wonder what's really going on? Because in that moment, what a great time to share a kind word. Because it weighs down the heart. But boy, you can cheer someone up 
That's bringing down the temperature. Proverbs goes on to say in verse 18 of chapter 12, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing, brings life or it brings death. Proverbs goes on, verse 1 of chapter 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Anger, hatred stirs up conflict within the community. Last one, verse 23 of chapter 15, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good it is to have a timely word, to think through what we're saying and how we say it. My Mexican restaurant in Texas, here's another one for you. And the guy, the guy didn't amen this one in the first gathering, but here I love it. I need a speed bump between my brain and my mouth. <laughs> and so I take our fifth principle today from the words of Keith Whitley. You say it best when you say nothing at all. You want to bring down the temperature? Zip it. Think about restraining words. Scripture says, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. Knows that often less is more. And whoever has understanding is even tempered. Chapter 20, verse 3 says, it is to one's honor to avoid strife. Now, if you've ever been to counseling, sometimes a counselor will tell you, yeah, your problem is you avoid conflict. It's a little bit different than what the Scripture's talking about here because I think you can, you can honor someone by not continuing to stir it up. And I've always asked my counselor friends, I need you to show me the line between honoring someone and avoiding strife and avoiding conflict. And it's what I do. I'm like, I don't even want to talk about it. But I have to learn to stay engaged and use my words with restraint. Right time, right tone, and right words. To be very careful. Theologian Will Rogers once said, never miss a good chance to shut up. And that is the lesson for me. And I just want to remind, let me just say this to the husbands again, because I just feel some of this is so directed toward us. You don't have to say everything you think. You can have a thought and go, I'm going to keep that to myself. <laughs> but here's the trick. Here's the secret. Don't tell your wife, I just held back. <laughs> because, you know, t you know, if this conversation would have been last week before Ted's message, this is what I would have said. But because of what Ted taught, I'm growing. <laughs> Holding back my words. Uh-uh, bad. Don't do it. And don't be like, she says something. Or the wife, same thing, right? You don't have to say everything you think. And you share something. And he, and when you see him go, mm, oh, his face is saying, oh, I told, oh, last week, boy. Look how, oh, I have grown. The last sign from Texas, I love this. If my mouth doesn't say it, my face definitely will. With my adult kids, I, I tell you this all the time, but I can, I can restrain my words. My words aren't the problem. It is my face. My face can be the problem. Let's get straight to the heart in number six and number seven of these principles. And hopefully this is encouraging you and changing some of your conversations this week. Be okay with being offended. But never be okay with being unloving. Whew. Look at this. It's like, oh, oh, I was like, oh. Some of you are offended all the time. 
Like something happens and it's like that goes against my conviction, goes against my belief. I'm going to be mad all day about it. And you're just mad, outraged, offended all the time. And so you know what Paul teaches the church at Corinth? He actually tells them, the lawsuits among them, there's conflict, there's strife. And, and, you know, Paul wrote to these churches. He was dealing with strife a lot in the church and had to remind them a lot. And he actually tells them, this is something we don't talk a lot about in the church. He actually says to them, it is better to be cheated. It is better to be wronged. It is better to suffer injustice than to be unloving. It is better that you deal with it that way. And look what he says. And these aren't questions. These are rhetorical questions that don't need an answer. He says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. You've missed the point. You've gotten away from the foot of the cross. And you're going at one another. But why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? You know, sometimes it's interesting. I get drawn into conversations and people want to meet with me to settle a dispute with their subcontractor. That'd become my full-time job in Branson, Missouri. If I made it known to you, if you're having an issue getting your subcontractor to get the job done, showing up on time and paying, just call me. I'll meet with you. No. And some, and listen, I know some of you, I've been cheated by subcontractors in this town. I've paid for work that never got done. This church has paid for work that never got done. And you know what we don't want to do is just like get everything all wound up. I, 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 I've been cheated. I've been frustrated and it's like, but is this going to ruin me? No. Is this worth me becoming unloving? I mean, settle it, but you can't. I, I remember years ago, a lady, probably 15 years ago, she asked to meet with me, and she shows up with this whole stack of papers. And I go, hey, what's going on? And she goes, I just, before I send my taxes in, I'd like you to go over them. <laughs> anyway, so I grabbed them. I'm like, all right. And then I said to her, looks good to me. I mean, I don't know what, you know. She's still serving a 15-year sentence. <laughs> you don't cut, you go to H&R Block, my friends. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You don't, but it's interesting we can be so easily offended. Some of you have been offended this week. How, 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 how's your heart doing with it? Because that's where Jesus takes us as we close this out. Number seven, before you give a piece of your mind, check your heart. Before you give your point of view and just going to kapow, taking this person out, check your heart. You can call a timeout in a heated conversation. Do you ever think about this? You can call a timeout in a heated conversation, back away, set a time to return. Let's say there's a coworker or your spouse or a child or a parent and be like, this has gotten out of hand. Our heart rate's both up. Greg Smalley taught me years ago. Once your heart rate goes up in that next 15 to 20 minutes, you ain't going to get a lot accomplished. So get away, lower your temperature and the temperature of the conversation. And this isn't the time to call your allies. Hey, I just got out of a conversation with so-and-so. Give me some stuff. And I, I'm not, I, no, no, no. This is the time for you to do business with the Lord. Quit giving the kids a timeout and give yourself a timeout. Get away and say, hey, listen, this, is, this isn't going where I thought it would go. You're mad. I'm mad. We're getting worked up. Have, give, me, get, give me 30 minutes. Give me an hour. The key with this is setting a time to return. And let's come back and see what we can do. And let me go. You just spend that 30 minutes not... You know, gathering the allies and reinforcing your ammunition, but doing business with the Lord. And, and Lord, 
the words coming out of my mouth, I do not like what I just said. I don't like what I heard. It actually shocked me when I said this. Forgive me. Give me wisdom right now. Give me discernment right now. Give me restraint where I need restraint. Give me the right words. I don't want reckless words. I want gracious words. I want this person to know that I'm talking, that I want healing for them and for me. I want to be reconciled in this relationship. So, you know, Jesus' followers are asked, why are you guys eating with unwashed hands? And Jesus gives a biology lesson. You, Many of you have been in church for a while. You know this lesson that he gives. And he says in Matthew 15, 17 through 20, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach, then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. If you're wondering, why am I saying what I'm saying? Why do I speak this way? Why do I behave this way? Start here. It's why as parents, we don't obsess over our child's actions or words. We obsess over their hearts, where all of that is coming from. Well, it's time for us to start looking seriously at what's going on in here. Jesus goes on to say, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, So Jesus can't be any clearer than this, talking to the Pharisees. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Looking at the heart. And you know, every conversation you're having with someone right now that gets heated, there's a story behind it. There's a story about what's going on in your heart, and there's a story about what's going on in the heart of the other person. Uh, A couple months back, a lady in our church came up to me, and she was very emotional. And this is a lady in our church with very strong opinions. She's got very strong point of view. I have a very strong point of view. And I hope you don't hear in this message that you can't have opinions. Have opinions. Who has opinions? Who has strong opinions? I pastor you people. There's more than 12 people in here (laughs) with strong opinions. Okay. uh, How many have strong opinions? Okay. Thank you for your honesty. Talking about check your heart. You're lying. False testimony. So she came to me and she was hurt by something I had said. It was after a service one Sunday and there was a lot going on. That's no excuse for what I'm about to tell you. And uh, there was a lot going on. And she said, you said this in jest. You were being funny, but it hurt. Ted, it hurt. And, uh, and I listened and she said, when you said that, and then she told me her story. I'd never heard her story. I never heard what was going on in her heart. And she said, this is how I was raised. She walked through it. And then she said, uh, you said, very, very broken home. She said, when you were joking, you said verbatim the words my dad used to say to me. And right there, I saw the connection, immediately convicted, confessed before my father in heaven and to her. And I said, I apologize. I am truly sorry. Those words were reckless and never should have been said. Please forgive me. She hugged me. She goes, I love our church. I love you. I never want anything to be between us. And, uh, but then I paused and I said, you know what? This is powerful because I've never, I've never heard your heart. I always get a piece of your mind. (laughs) I always know what you're thinking. I rarely know what you're feeling. I rarely know what's going on on the inside. And then I just encouraged her. I said, there's a lot of people in our church that have experienced this with you. I know it. And I want you to have great relationships at our church. I want you to have great relationships here. 
And I said, give them more of your heart. Share more of this, what's going on. Because this is where true intimacy lies. Not in the peace of our mind and always being right and always needing to win. But the desire is that we have relationships that, and conversations that invite people in, build them up, wholesome healing and reconciling. Would you pray with me as we close out our time? Father, I hope that uh, your word today, the, the practical word of it, the convicting side of these texts um, would, would change me and shape me and guide not just conversations one-on-one and face-to-face, but online conversations as well. Uh, let, let, let's be a conversation people. Let me be a conversation husband, a conversation father, a conversation pastor, a conversation friend, and let that be true of us uh, throughout this congregation. Thank you for what you continue to do at this church uh, in a time when everything seems to be so heated on everything ever discussed uh, that we would be a people being transformed by the gospel each and every day with healing, reconciling conversations. I pray for the one that's never placed faith in Jesus that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would step out, meet with someone from our prayer team, confess sins that need to be confessed, Seek guidance and prayer for relationships that are broken and hurting. For the one who's never placed faith in Jesus, that today would be that day that they confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in their heart that he's been raised from the dead, that they would be saved. And we pray all this in the authority of the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said, amen.